The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. All right, welcome to the Inn. We got a great, got a great crowd out tonight. Um, September Inn, I should say. Only two more weeks till the first Inn of the school year, which is very exciting, at least for us. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Janie, and I'm on staff here with University Ministries. I have lots of different responsibilities, lots of different jobs, but for your purposes, probably the most important thing for you to know is just I'm in charge. So. That's the way things work. Everybody on staff knows that. You guys might as well know that, too. Um, I'm the person in charge of things in UMIN. And I'm excited to be up here tonight. Um, and if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that we've actually been looking at the book of Second Timothy for the month of September. And basically what we've seen so far, this book is a letter. It's a letter from a guy named Paul. And... Um, Paul is one of the first people, first missionaries. He goes out and tells people about the good news of Jesus. And he writes this uh, letter to one of his companions, one of his co-workers, Timothy. So not just a clever name for the book. Um, it's actually a letter to Timothy. And um, Paul is actually writing this letter from prison. So he's, he's writing to Timothy, and Timothy's still out there, he's still on the ground, he's still doing the work of, of serving people and trying to help churches as they get started. And Timothy's telling Paul that he needs to stay strong and don't be, don't be scared in the face of adversity, know that Jesus is with him. In a way, Paul might be a little bit of a nervous Nelly kind of in the circumstance, since he can't be there anymore, you know, he's far away. Maybe some of you can relate to this with your parents, your parents might be a little bit overprotective. Maybe some of you are just recently leaving for college. Your parents are giving you a little more advice than you actually need. Okay, maybe I should just say, Paul is being overprotective. I don't know if it's blasphemous to say that. We'll see if I'm smited while I'm standing up here. But Paul might be a little bit blasphemous. Paul's not blasphemous. I am. Um, a little overprotective of Timothy. Uh, I know what it's like to have overprotective people. Um, a few years ago, I was living on the East Coast. So I was working on a master's degree, living in New Jersey, and I had just spent some, like, five months living in Kenya, and I have traveled cross-country a couple times, and I'm not giving you my resume to impress you. I'm, there's a reason I'm telling you all that. Okay, so um, it was those circumstances that I came home to visit my parents, and I flew in, and so I didn't have a car, and so I asked my parents if I could borrow their car to visit some friends in Portland. And my parents live like 50 miles away from Portland. And my dad says, well, you know, you need to be really careful when you drive down to Portland. And I'm thinking, really? I hadn't even considered that. Like, I was going to drive like a maniac, obviously. Dad? I didn't say that. I kept my sarcastic comments to myself. Um, but my dad go did go on to say... I really don't think you should drive down there on your own because the winds off the Columbia on the I-205 bridge, they're pretty intense. So I don't really, I don't really like the idea of you traveling down there, right? And my dad has no idea what I did on a day-to-day -day basis, right? I live 3,000 miles away from him, yet he tells me at this moment that he's a little bit nervous of me driving um, 50 miles away from the house. 
So I know what it's like to have somebody who's a little bit overprotective. Maybe you guys, you guys know that too. Regardless, the point is that Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And unlike some of the other books of the Bible, because it's a letter, it has a little bit more of the instructions, a little bit more of the how-to when it comes to our faith. In a lot of Paul's other books, um, he tells a little bit more of theology, kind of the what of our beliefs. This book's a little different. And um, we've heard from Jordan a couple weeks ago and Ryan last week. And what we've heard so far is that Paul has told Timothy that he needed to live in to the power and the grace that he had in Jesus in being a Christian leader. And we also learned that he needed to be passionate in his faith, but something that goes along with his passion was suffering. And tonight, we're going to return to this letter. We're going to look some more at what Paul tells Timothy. But what we're also going to look at is we're going to look at the relationship between Paul and Timothy. And like I was talking about before, parent-child relationship, I was mocking Paul about that. It isn't isn't really parent-child relationship. It's more of a mentor relationship. So you have Paul as the mentor, and you have Timothy as his apprentice or his mentee, if you will. And I wanted to give you a visual example of what this looks like, what a mentor relationship looks like. Um, And so I have a clip of a a mentor-mentee relationship. And the first person you see, his name is Tracy. He's the mentor. And the second person is Ken, and he's the mentee. So take a look at this relationship. You don't realize how beautiful the sunset is until it's the last one you'll ever see. Kid, I'll be going soon, but I just wanted you to know that I've loved being your mentor, and it's been an honor having you be my manatee. Mr. Jordan, I hate seeing you like this. What can I do to help you? Nothing, Ken. I'm just going through the classic stages of grief. Fear, denial, horniness, wisdom, sleepiness, and now depression. What about anger? No! I don't want to do anger. You can't make me. Now stop it, Mr. Jordan. You need to take some of your own advice. Aren't you the man who told me to live every week like it's shark week? And that nothing's impossible except for dinosaurs? Don't give up on life, sir. Wow. Humanity has become the mentor. to think of that with Paul and Timothy. You have a manatee and you have a mento. And in some, some way, they switch places in the midst of that. Okay, so that isn't exactly what Paul and Timothy's relationship looked like. Although I would imagine he would have told Tim to live every week like a shark week had he thought of it. But what my point is, is that Paul is a mentor to Timothy. And in their relationship, their relationship is centered on their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what connects them to each other. And we're going to take a look at that um, today. But before tonight, before we do, let's stop a minute and pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Be with us. Speak to us tonight, Lord. We are here to hear from you. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. So this relationship between Paul and Tim is 
it's pretty cool. Um, I wanted to look at some historical context. I'm kind of a historical context person, so if you don't like it, sorry. That's just the way it's going to be um, when I'm speaking. So anyway, we're going to go back to the book of Acts when Paul and Timothy are first meet. Um, Acts chapter 16, it says this. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. Okay, talk about suffering for your faith. I know. Started off with the bang or whatever. I'm just going to keep talking. Okay. <laughs> for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So Timothy has, is, he has accolades from other people, so he joins Paul, and we also hear in other places in scripture that Timothy's mother, um, Lois and his grandmother Eunice, they raised him in the scriptures. He took in the scriptures from birth like he took in his mother's milk. The, the Torah was just a part of who he was from the very beginning of his life. And from the start, Paul is obviously impressed with Timothy. He thinks he's, he's great and, um, he wants Timothy to be a part of what he's doing. He even actually leaves Timothy behind at a bunch of churches. That's how much trust he has in him. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul writes this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel." So Paul and Timothy obviously have a mentor relationship, and this is a relationship that has stood the test of time. They actually co-labored and served together for 17 years. Now keep that in mind, the time-tested nature of their relationship, when we look at um, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, starting at verse 1 of chapter 3. But mark this, Timothy... There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people, Timothy. So did you guys notice that there were... there? will be terrible times in the last days. What's going to mark the last days is people are going to be lovers of money, they'll be proud, they'll be boastful, they'll be ungrateful. So apparently, um, repent, the end is, ye- the end is near. Um, let's pray. We all know that <laughs> the last days, when, when uh, Timothy was living, that people were proud, they were boastful, there was godlessness all around them. And we can say probably the same thing, that the world is going to hell in a handbasket still today. It's probably even worse than it was for him. Um, in the message, Eugene Peterson actually translates one of these things in the list. People are allergic to God. There was godlessness all around. 
And most likely, Paul expected Timothy to read this, this list aloud. So the things that are present in this list, it's not necessary for us to go through each one and say, okay, how do we stay away from this one? How do we stay away from this one? As much as Paul wanted to communicate the volume of the wickedness and the godlessness that was surrounding him so that Timothy would be prepared, that he would stay away from it as he is someone who's in Christian leadership. Now, the remainder of the chapter, Paul is going to tell Timothy what it is that he needs to do in order to combat this godlessness, in order to to deal with what he encounters on an everyday basis if he's trying to be a leader, a Christian servant. So here's what he says in chapter, um, the conclusion of chapter 3, starting at verse 10. You, however, Timothy, Timothy, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. And Paul is referring to the difficulty he endured. He'd been put in prison. He'd been stoned. He'd been run out of a bunch of towns. And Timothy has been a witness to all of these things. Yet, the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the face of the godlessness and the wickedness that exists in the world, Paul encourages Timothy to remember everything he's seen Paul do over their time together. And when he does, Tim should remember the most important thing. The most important thing is that the Lord rescued Paul from the suffering he faced, from the persecution that he, that he had to endure. Paul reminds Timothy from their relationship that God is faithful. And that God would be with him. And beyond what he remembers from his time with Paul, Timothy is encouraged to find strength in scripture that his grandmother and his mother raised him in since his birth. To stand on the firm foundation of God's word because it's in scripture he's going to hear the same thing that he saw in his relationship with Paul. That God is faithful. Now I think... We can acknowledge the focus of this chapter, this big list of vices that we're supposed to avoid and, and, and stay away from. Paul is saying that that's the point. That's, that's, his, that's what he's communicating to Timothy is stay away from wickedness and godlessness. Avoid those things. But I do think there's actually a bigger picture that Paul wants Timothy to get. And also us as well. A bigger picture for us to acknowledge. And what Paul is calling Timothy to is his relationships. Timothy recognizes the need he has in his life for guidance. And in Paul, he has found someone who can train him in faith, who can love him and guide him in his journey and model for him what life in Christian service actually looks like. We might call it mentoring. That's what I've been referring it to. Maybe, I don't know, spiritual direction or holy friendship. Whatever term it is that we use, 
Timothy had the humility and the discipline to open up his life to Paul and say, I need to grow. Paul's influence is going to be important to me. In this letter, we are witnessing, what we're seeing is the time and the intentionality that these two guys have put into their relationship up to this point. Paul is telling Timothy, seek my advice, remember me, follow my example. Earlier in the letter, Paul tells Timothy, you're going to encounter suffering. And at this point, he's saying, but remember the most important thing. When I encountered suffering, the Lord rescued me. And the Lord is going to rescue you as well. He doesn't give him a list of how-tos. This is what you need to do in order to avoid getting trapped in wickedness. He doesn't give him a formula. He says, remember your relationships. A few years ago, I was working at a church, um, and I was working with a woman named Tina, She was the associate pastor of the church, and Tina was great, one of my favorite people and the funniest people I've ever met, and I worked with her with the youth group. There's me and Tina on graduation day. (laughs) Good times. Anyway, um, Tina, I worked with Tina um, with the youth and at a soup kitchen, and I would meet with her a couple times a week um, for a couple of years. And when I would when I would come to Tina and I'm trying to learn how to be more effective working in the church and what does it look like to serve other people, and I would ask her, or I would just say, I'm overwhelmed with trying not to disappoint anyone. So much so that I, I don't really know how to help anybody. And Tina would honestly say to me, Jamie, you have to take you have to stop taking ownership of other people's feelings. When you care for them, you can't be responsible for how they react to things or how they feel about things. Um, and that actually was great to hear from her, but I didn't really know what she meant until I was able to watch her in action. By serving alongside her, I was able to see the way that Tina cared for people, but she didn't take ownership of what their needs were. She didn't feel responsible for them, so she was freed up to actually care for more people. And essentially, I was able to be a more effective minister by trying to model myself after Tina. So now, I could care less about people's feelings, which is exactly where I'm supposed to be, right? (laughs) Um, my point is that Tina was a great mentor to me. She was an incredible example of, of what it means to be an effective minister. And I am grateful at this point in my life that I had that before um, I work here with you guys. Paul's words of wisdom to Timothy don't end there, actually. He also reminds Timothy at the end of chapter 3 about the most important relationship in Timothy's life that will sustain him. And that is his own faith. And the key to that relationship is his ability to stay in Scripture. One of the most important ways that he knows God is through God's Word. And it wasn't just that he knew the Scriptures. They were a part of him. They were written on his heart. God's Word was alive in Timothy. And Paul is reminding him that in the face of the wickedness and the godlessness around him, he writes in this letter, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Remember what you learned. Remember where you learned it from. 
When we get caught up in the list of vices that we're supposed to avoid and we try to find this checklist that's going to help us be a better Christian or we try to find the, the how-tos, you know, what are the secrets? Somebody give me some good advice about what it means to be a Christian. We completely miss the heart of the gospel because the heart of the gospel is relationship. That is what Paul is calling Timothy to, to remember the relationship he has with Paul. Remember the way that God was steadfast in Paul's life. And remember the relationship he has with God. Hold on to the scripture that has been written on his heart that's going to make God, his relationship with God become that much more alive to him. 1992, how old were you guys, like four? I don't, oh my gosh. Um, I was in high school. You guys are young. Okay, I'm old. I guess I should flip that. Um, anyways, Bill Clinton was running for president. I don't know if you guys knew this. You're toddlers. Um, Bill Clinton ran for president in 1992, and he ran against George Bush Sr. And um, we were in a recession then. And so his campaign slogan in 92 was something really simple. It was just, it's the economy, stupid. And as I was reading this chapter in 2 Timothy, I kept thinking of that, and I kept thinking... It's the relationship, stupid. That's what Paul is communicating to Timothy. It's the relationships. That's what we need to remember. So, if it's about the relationships, what does that mean um, for what Paul is calling Timothy to? What do these relationships all have in common with each other? The common denominator is simply time. Investment. Now, I'm going to contradict myself here and actually give you a formula. I know I just said, there's no formula. Well, just kidding. Jane's got one. Um, It's really good. You might want to write this down. It's really complicated. Okay? So this is a formula for for what it means to live like Timothy lives. Um, So here it is. Time plus time plus time equals Timothy. Oh, my gosh. I know what you're thinking. You guys are thinking, Jeannie, where do you come up with these? Genius. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, it, it just came to me. I don't know what to say. Okay, talk about stupid. I know. Um, my point is, obviously, that time is the most important thing when it comes to relationships. How often do we say when it comes to anything in our life, we're like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do it. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to invest my time. I just don't really feel like it. I don't really feel like investing or putting time into my relationship with God or any relationship for that matter. We can't base our relationships on feeling alone with people or with God. There also has to be investment. And if there's one really important thing for us to pull away from that Timothy learned that Paul points out in this passage is it is what you do today makes a difference down the road. How you invest your time today makes a huge difference down the road. Are any of you guys familiar with the book um, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell? Really? (laughs) Wow. Oh, all right. It's really good, huh? Yeah, see? Okay. Um, Anyway, this book... It's, it's a great book. Malcolm Gladwell is kind of exploring um, why this idea of success. How come some people are really successful? How do they become an expert at something? And um, his thesis is basically that we put way too much emphasis on talent and luck 
and um, smarts alone. He says that the common denominator of people who are off the chart successful that become experts at something is, the, is what he calls the 10,000-hour rule. That these people have all put in a minimum of 10,000 hours into that thing that they have become really successful or an expert at. I can't even imagine what my relationship with God would look like if I were to put in 10,000 hours. And I think when he calculates in all the things like how much time we spend sleeping and eating and stuff like this, the 10,000 hours is equivalent to like 30 years. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal when you think about that. And I'm not saying that the 10,000 hour rule should be a part of our faith because God really would be happy to see necessarily that we have checked off all of these hours. We don't have to earn credit with God. But time and investment provide real opportunity for our relationship with God to grow. For God to truly be at, heart, be at work in our heart and mind, changing us into who God has created us to be. And Paul was able to say to Timothy, you put in the time. You've got the foundation you need. When you are struggling, when you are facing adversity, remember the relationship that you and I have. Remember the scriptures that that have been so influential and important in your faith. And they will bring you back to where you need to be. With the time that Paul spent with Timothy in his life, Timothy ended up becoming a phenomenal Christian leader because he had a visual example of honesty, humility, And God's faithfulness, even when Paul was far away in prison. In Henry Nouwen's book, Reaching Out, he is a professor at the time, and he talks about a student who came back to visit him after some time away. And that he had a mental relationship with him, and after he comes back, he says to Henry Nouwen, I feel like all of the ground between us, even when we're far away, all of the ground between us is holy ground because of God that we share between us. I love that image that all of the ground between us is holy ground with these people who have a huge influence in our lives. You need close relationships in your life that are centered on Christ. Someone who can speak into your life. Who can help you deal with temptation when it's more than you can take. Someone who can hold on to hope for you when you don't have any hope for yourself. Someone who can identify the ways that you've gone off the rails and maybe call you out on it. Someone who can provide guidance. Someone who can be a tangible example of Christ's love in your life. And Timothy focused on his relationship with God through scripture. For many of us, we'll open the Bible, and it seems like a bunch of random stories and freaky poetry, weird customs about not cutting your forelocks and dealing with your neighbor's oxen. It seems like it had zero relevance for us today. But what Timothy knew and what we can discover is that the most powerful truth of our faith is contained within this scripture, and that is God is faithful over and over and over again. God is faithful to his people Israel and ultimately to the world, and God is at work in order to transform us And put us in the right relationship with him once again. The Holy Spirit speaks through scripture and offers us wisdom. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Scripture offers us wisdom and instruction. 
It can help us think in new patterns. We can understand ourselves and other people and God and the world better. And ultimately, we find ourselves rescued, saved from the downward pull of temptation and sin, and transformed so that we can become part of God's new creation. If we let scripture have its way with us, all of this is within a possibility. Because scripture not only shows us a living God through Jesus. But scripture is actually a part of us. It becomes a part of our consciousness and becomes deep a part of our soul. Here's the kicker. This is what I think is so important for us to realize about scripture. And I think what Paul is telling Timothy above everything else and what he means when he says that scripture is God-breathed. That scripture is not only the book that tells us how we can be transformed by God in our lives. Scripture itself is a part of that transformation. Is God at work in us when we spend time in God's word? It takes time. It takes investment. It takes relationships, stupid. With all of our relationships, with mentors, with God, the aim isn't to squash us down into this mold that we're supposed to look like. That the goal of our relationships is that we can become more completely who we are and more completely a part of God's new creation so we can reflect God's image into this world that desperately needs it. I want to close tonight with a simple question. Have you put in the time? Where is your investment in Christian relationships? Have you put the time into your relationship with God? Where is your investment? For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, Visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.